in this country, there are basic identities um, that place a person in the normative center, and, and there are characteristics that move us outward from that normative center. I think we're aware of that. And if I ask you to toss things into, into the chat, you would say things such as gender, race, um, your sexual orientation, education, um, economic status, your religion. These are examples of characteristics by, by which we're sized up and judged in our culture. I think it's whiteness though that places us most in the center, at the normative center. Um, whites, we should note, it, note, can move out from that normative center if by chance they're LD, LGBTQIA versus heterosexual, or whites move out from the normative center if by chance they're poor and not upper middle class. But in, in a sense, in our culture, white is supreme. White is superior, while other races and ethnicities are less valued or devalued or even denigrated. So Tina Kuhn and Kenneth Jones and their colleagues have identified 15 characteristics of white supremacy culture. The thing that's uh, damaging about these characteristics is that they're used as norms and standards in our culture without our having actively chosen them, without even naming them. So in a sense, these characteristics fill the air we breathe, they're ingrained in us without our even being aware of it. And as you know, the open table in recent months has been addressing these characteristics of white supremacy culture. And the characteristics that Latia and I are going to address tonight are either or thinking and only one right way. In that opener, as Sarah picked up, and I know all of you picked up as well, um, some of the either ors are pretty inconsequential. Some are just choices we make, but maybe rigidly stick to. Um, some of the dualities are given to us by life, and some have profound um, impacts on our life. With this little bit of introduction, I'm going to toss this off to Latia, who's going to lead us in taking a look at either or thinking. All right, and here if we can throw up the slide for either or thinking, um, that'd be great too. That way, as I'm speaking, you can look at it as well. Um, so either or thinking by Okun says that things are either good or bad, right or wrong. You're either for us or against us. It's closely, closely linked to perfectionism. Uh, makes it difficult for people to make mistakes and it doesn't accommodate for conflict. Uh, there's no there's no sense that there could be both and there's no middle ground no gray um, creates conflict and increases a sense of urgency as people feel that they have to make one decision or the other unless you're like Hannah and she's like I don't want to choose I'm gonna choose um, kombucha so I love that for the for the opportunity to consider alternatives often used by those in authority or who have power to push a clear agenda um, so that you have only the chance to choose A or B and not enough time to think creatively for alternative options. If you could uh, ingest, right now we're gonna do it. We're gonna share some of our personal examples Hannah and I spent uh, a couple of afternoons together at one o'clock, um, going through just getting to know each other well. And 
um, we, we thought about some personal examples of how either or thinking showed up in, in our lives. And so for me, one of the things that I remembered in high school, in junior year and in senior year as we're deciding whatever our future is, and I'm 16 and 17 and seeing a guidance counselor and they're like, okay, you've got to decide if you want to do the path of work or college. And I, I was like, uh, I'm 16 or 17. So at that time I picked college because that's what seemed like all my peers were doing. And I felt like I had to decide what it is I wanted to be at 16 or 17, which I started out as a teacher and I, I still love teaching. And now I'm a, a pastor. So there you go, this, this rigid, like I had to choose. What about you, Hannah? Well, I know what we talked about that, Latia, that just that example, that, that, that's very young people teenagers who are being forced into an either or it's this or it's that and there's not that room for um you know maybe both and and i'm thinking now how some kids take a gap year or, or it gives them a time to maybe think what they want and not what their parents maybe are pushing them to do and so um, i think our culture sometimes forces us to make that that either or decision and sometimes at a really young age um, as we talked together, what came up to me in my personal life, and which I'm just now realizing, is that I made the decision to be a stay-at-home mom, and I did that for about two decades. But I think I often used either-or thinking to say, well, some people have a real job. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I think I had a pattern of either-or, that there was real work and there was what I did. And I actually think there are ways I used that either are thinking to weaponize myself, to put myself down, rather than to name what I did and what other did as all fine. And I think you had another, or did you want to respond or you had another example of your own? Yeah, so, and that like, being a stay-at-home mom, I don't have, I don't know that personally, but I can imagine like that in some ways is, a lot more taxing than going to work and coming home because you don't get to get days off and um, paid pay time off and all those things. Um, another uh, thing that came up for me was that I have often found myself in religious um, situations based on the way I grew up and then where I found myself in, in my adult years of having to choose or feeling like I've had to choose between personal salvation, which is this like, we've got to care about people's soul, make sure they know God, make sure they go to heaven. And what what is sometimes phrased as the social gospel, which is like people are hungry and need clothes and there's oppression going on and we need to be people who care about those systemic um, the systemic violence going on and really feeling pressure to like have to choose between the two. Um, and I don't think I sometimes just find myself on the outskirts of those um, organizations because I'm like, why are we choosing one or the other? They're both linked. Uh, but for some, I think to understand God, to understand their religious uh, like framework, they have to do like the either or. Latia, Melissa said, snaps to you, she's felt that same. And I think a lot of us, uh, because a lot of our religious institutions take their stand, it's either us or that wrong way. 
and, and it can throw people into a lot of internal conflict that they later have to work out and try to discover maybe a both and approach. Yeah. And then we talked culturally, obviously we all know we're in this uh, pandemic. There's this coronavirus uh, effect, affecting our country so deeply. And there are some people who are like basically quarantined, have basically quarantined since March. There's other people like, you know, viruses go around, some people get it, most live, some don't. Um, th there's a whole range of thinking in between, and a lot of us have tried to find where we stand in terms of how is a person of integrity, can I act responsibly to maintain my health and to support the community? In a sense, so there's a range of answers, a, a range of appropriate answers, but right now, the mask is just an example of people, either or, you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask, and that says, where you stand and what you believe is right. And um, so I think sometimes that culture just pushes that either or against us or for us in, into our faces. And it's sort of like shaming the one who wears the mask or doesn't wear the mask. Um, so again, it's just, it's wrapped up in very simple things and in the more complex things, this tendency to do either or thinking. All right, well, I want us to engage in conversation in our breakout rooms. And this is the same question. Where has either or thinking shown up in your life? So whether you're uh, gonna go into the breakout rooms, that's the question. Where is either or thinking shown up? And for those of you on Facebook Live, you can answer that same question in the chat as Hannah and I stay back and kind of continue to chat about where either or thinking has shown up in our lives. And we wanna hear from you too. All right, see you in about eight minutes. Okay, I'm gonna kick you all off into a breakout room now. You have to click accept though if you've not been in breakout rooms before. So just make sure you click um, accept and then we will see you all in a little bit. Thanks. All right. All right. So Hannah, we talked a little bit about um, when we were preparing about the dichotomies that we were making in the beginning, Coke or Pepsi. That's like, you can choose that. But obviously, I can't choose to be black in the same way that you can't choose that you're white. So there's, there's more like stake in that sometimes. Right. Um, okay, help me out here, Latia. Yeah. Do we still have some folks with us here in this main room who would like to join the chat, Maddie? Um, we do have some folks that have not joined their breakout rooms. Um, so okay. those folks, um, if you would like to join a breakout room, make sure to click that. Um, if not, we do have some quiet rooms available as well. Um, or yeah, you can stay in here and, and listen to Hannah and Latia, Reverend Latia continue to um, discuss. And Hannah and Latia, I will let you know that Facebook Live was being fickle with us and was not okay. working. However, we are recording this and we can put it on Facebook Live, Facebook later for people to view. So yeah. feel free to still chat as if it could go up on Facebook, but just know that it is not currently live, but will be shared later. All right. No worries. Thanks. So some thoughts about how 
either or thinking shows up in more serious ways, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of a sudden, Hannah gets quiet, right? <laughs> yeah. So in terms of race, like you, you, we can't choose to be black and white. Um, sometimes you, we can't choose what our profession is. Sometimes we can't choose uh, whether we go to school or college, right? It depends on a lot of our social backgrounds and kind of our economic um, situation too. So sometimes we have to think about other characteristics that, uh, that make gray area possible and probably probable. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking too of the variety of characteristics by which we really are sized up and judged by others. And they're those characteristics that just put us right in that, that normative place. But one thing I value about open table is our respect for um, LGBTQI8. I, I'm have trouble keeping up with all the letters sometimes, but, but I certainly value that, um, that we're open because there's some people that believe it's a choice and it's an evil choice that people make. But, um, of course, I know most that we believe that that it's who the person is, and it it needs to be that they are worthy of honor and recognition and love and care, just as they are. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, Wendy. Let me see. I just lost it. Oh, lately I've been thinking about dichotomies in physical and mental health, and how our culture defines health. Yeah. So yeah, in terms of like those who live with disabilities, whether they are invisible or or visible, um, that you are healthy if you can do these physical things or can um, encounter spaces and not have anxiety or not experience difficulty interacting. Well, you know, um, that's the normative center. Although, um, what it would look like to be either or in that sense, like whether you have a physical disability or not, whether you have a mental health disability or not, like you're welcome in a space as you are. And we're human, so that's what makes it normal. I don't know. Just some thoughts. And to what, to what Wendy said, it feels like in this country, we're more adept at um, naming and, and facing um, physical um, issues of health, more so maybe than mental issues of health. Um, it, it seems like we're either or, if people were going to dive in somewhere or talk about something or be open about something, I think it's sometimes more likely to be our physical um, situation than our, our mental health. I mean, somebody just shared with me today, they thought maybe they were bipolar. They just feel like they have ups, but then they just drop so far. And, and I think that's probably in our culture, a hard thing for someone to say. Because there's probably more stigma around those who have mental health um, disabilities than, than those who have physical disabilities. And maybe a both and way to think is that, that we all, have physical imperfections. I certainly know I, I, as I've aged, I change. I can't do all that I used to. I don't look like I used to, or I, I think all of us have times when our mental health isn't as strong, when we aren't as healthy. And so rather like I'm fine. 
oh, they have a problem, maybe both and thinking is that we all have um, issues that we need to, to care for and we need to care for in each other. And I always say that like, uh, like having a disability, whether physical or mental health, you can be become that person or become a person with a disability at any time. Like, and, and in particular with mental health, like you can be okay in one season and then something happened and not be okay. So it's more of a fluid thing sometimes. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, any other thoughts from those who are in the in the room? Orange chat. You know, it do, does come up for me that um, oh in anti oh here's Nick. In anti-racism work, I find myself resisting the urge to try to categorize white people into the they get it group and they don't get it group. Oh. Yeah. It, and, and maybe Nick is saying, I mean, sometimes it's like, oh, they get it, yay, or oh, they don't, but, but that's, that's, a, that's a judgment too, right? To, to not be able to, to be with people where they are. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's one thing that's come up for me. We're, as you know, we're moving on to the only one right way, but, but I'm a little ashamed how often I do get a judgy about the choices that some people make <laughs> or, or where they stand on these issues. And, and that's not really, I think, where God calls me to be. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Nick. Yes, thank you, Nick. So, if one or two people can share kind of what some of the discussion was in your group uh, with the whole group, that would be much appreciated. You can do it out loud, which would be good, but if you don't feel comfortable, you can always put it in the chat as well. I can share from our group Okay, um, thanks, you. Sure. Um, I was in a group with um, Tracy and uh, Sharon, um, and I had brought up that I felt like the latest either or in my life was um, I have two kids, and one is going to be starting kindergarten, and the other one's going to be starting 10th grade. and uh in july i was sent an email from the school saying that we had to choose either were they going to go to school in person or were they going to go to school at home virtually and whatever decision we made um we had to stick with that decision until january 26. um so we ultimately we went back and forth because it's two different kids um and so I chose in person for the younger one and virtual for the older one. Um, and then last week they told us that everybody was going to be virtual. Oh. So, um, it ended up not being an either or, but I felt that way. Yeah, that's definitely one that's been popping up for those of us with kids to decide. Thanks for sharing. Any others that came up?
All right, well, thanks for sharing and sharing in your groups. I'm gonna pass it off to Hannah now for our next um, characteristic. So Maddie, at this point, if you'd like to put up the slide um, with the definition of only one right way, uh, we'll work through that. Thank you, Maddie. Only run one right way. The belief that there's one right way to do things and that once people are introduced to the right way, they'll see the light and adopt it. When people do not adapt or change to the right way, then something is wrong with them, not with those of us who know the right way. And an example of this is um, the missionary who doesn't see value in the culture of other communities but sees value only in their own beliefs about what is good. Another example that is not in the Okun article to which you have a link um, is, is this one. I did not learn this in school and I would be surprised if you didn't but there were, there were the so-called Indian schools where indigenous children after being stripped from their parents were taken to these places um, which were far worse than schools. There are horrific stories where they were then stripped of their name, their clothing, um, their language, their spirituality. So that is just yet another example of only one right way, taking the Indian out of the child. Um, Latia and I, again, wanted to talk about how does only one right way show up in my life? And, and in some ways, I think we talked about quite a few things, but the one that impacted me the most was what Latia shared about herself, which opened my eyes to my own self. And if you don't mind, we thought we might share a bit of that with you, with you now. Latia, share what you said to me. Yeah, so I grew up with my great uncle and aunt, and so they were very intentional about surrounding, making their home a place where African-American art and culture was appreciated and like trying to make it as normative as possible, because it is. And then knowing, right, I didn't know this as a kid, knowing that I would encounter a world that would pressure me and say, being black is not the normative in our culture. So I remember thinking, oh, my hair is not straight. I wanna make it straight like my white friends. And so I would like pressure my aunt and uncle to put all the chemicals in. And like so many years of like trying to make my hair as white as I thought it needed to be. And then uh, I, which I think this is typical of many um, BIPOC folk, like studying the white normative culture so that I can um, emulate it, right? So I can speak in ways that are white, um, learn the mannerisms to make me as white as I could be. Although knowing that like that wasn't really a thing that was possible, but I'm really good at uh, figuring out where I am in a in a space or and then code switching. So if I am in a predominantly white space and it's not safe to be who I am, then I can put on what I, my friends laugh because I'm like, I say, I have my white voice and my white mannerisms or this is who I really am. Right. Mm -hmm. 
and, and when you shared that with me, I'm like, well, I certainly didn't have to go through any of that. And as I mentioned earlier, I don't think I even had any awareness that I was white. I was just normal, right? I just sat in the middle of normal. And as I've tried to, as I wake up, as I try to think about this, I think what's, what comes up inside of me is just that I, you know, they don't get, to, some people don't get to be white. So I need to be helpful to try to help the people who don't get to be white. I don't feel good about saying that, but, but I, I think that's an example of my own internalized racial superiority. And what you shared was despite the wonderful upbringing you had by your, your aunt and uncle, your internalized racial inferiority. And, but I think it stems from only one right way. I mean, white is supreme, white is best, white is normal. And, and what, what it does to us um, once we internalize that belief. I think coming, yeah. Yeah, and Garrett knows his code switching shows up a lot in social patterns. Um, yes, and Nick, thank you. The whiteness, it's invisibilized, it's just, it just is. It's not named. It's not talked about. And the code switching, I've become more aware of it as I've gotten older, but I almost didn't realize I was doing it in the moment until somebody said, like, they would call out, like, oh, you, your voice changed, or the way that you moved around or, or engaged with this group of people was different. And I, I think I, I realized that unconsciously in... And when I would see my uncle and aunt engage with people. So when they were on the phone, I could tell if they were talking to somebody who was black or somebody who was white. Uh, because, and they didn't say it, but you could tell the difference. Yeah. And as white folks, I think, have the privilege of walking into a room or a, a class or any situation, and we just get to show up at ourselves because we're great, <laughs> right? You know, we're normal. So, um, I, I think I think that was maybe the most powerful conversation we shared around that how only one right way shows up. And at this point, we were we were hopeful that folks would enjoy going back into those breakout groups. I know there's often such good sharing at open table breakout groups. And not surprisingly, the question's very similar, but if we would like you to take about eight minutes to share amongst yourselves how only one right way shows up in you. I mean, you can talk about it in terms of IRS, internalized racial inferiority or superiority, or there's probably a multitude of other ways. So we would invite you to once again, go to your breakout rooms and we'll look forward to hearing back from you in about eight minutes. What are some other ways you think it might show up in your life? I'm trying to think of some other, um, some other examples uh, and Nick, if you have any, or Wendy, or anybody else in the group. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I was opening up about this earlier. Some of the places where I get can get kind of judgy is, say, with the mask wearing. It's like, <laughs> you know, that I just don't have patients who won't do it because I think that's the right way to do it. I've got the right way figured out, and and I get a, I get can get judgy about people that I don't think are doing their part not to not to help control the spread of this this virus. So it's like fundamentalism on both ends, right? So you can be, ha struggle with fundamentalism on the more what people 
would say is a conservative and and fundamentalism on a more progressive end as well yeah i i think i think for as progressive as i am in my spirituality and in my politics and all kinds of things there's a fundamentalism that comes in but but i've got it figured out and and then that places me either or um you know only one right way and the great title that nick gave this my way is the right way i think these two are a beautiful pairing these two characteristics because i think a they, lot of that shows up in our culture and in me and they intersect so you're always like is this yeah it's it's both are intersecting things and as we're uh, about to enter into or we're kind of into it already this election season we see it all over the news all over social media there's only one right way we're losing i i find it so sad that we're losing this to me it seems we're losing the ability to have friends that think differently than us and still be friends with that person. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you don't think like me, something's wrong with you. Therefore, you know, we're gonna unfriend you or cancel or instead of like, let's engage in conversation and somewhere find that there might be more than one right way. Maddie, Maddie says that the way Christianity or other faith practices should be practiced. I assume the things that have hurt me will hurt others, which is not always true. My wound spots aren't the same as, as others. Yeah, that's true. Because I find that when I think about my the ways in which the church has hurt me, I'm like, we're not doing any altar calls ever. <laughs> And for some people, altar calls or like praying with another person is a very formative uh, experience. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would say like in anti-racism work, one of the things that I've been reflecting on is the fact that depending on who you talk to, there's probably a different analysis uh, of what racism is and how it functions and, and what can be done to dismantle it in ourselves and in our society and in our societal structures. And it, it's, it's very tempting to try to almost land on the holy grail of anti-racism analysis, when in reality, there's probably gonna be a, num a multitude of thoughts that are living in tension with each other. And so it, it's like you were talking about the fundamentalism piece. It, yeah. Like I, I totally resonate with that because in anti-racism work, I think I even see like the uh, one right way kind of mindset, almost where uh, folks are just like very, very zealous about anti-racism work and um, are just all about one particular path, not, not recognizing that there are a multitude, there's a multitude of thought and discussion and debate that happens around how this thing functions as well as how it can be dismantled. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And we're all just trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is maybe a more, oh, go ahead, Lydia. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? This might be a more general comment, but I have found just starting to understand these characteristics to be a really wonderful tool. Um, I mean, I can look at them in myself, in relationships where I think the boyfriend might be on. Sometimes it's like, 
why wouldn't we do it my way? I mean, do you know what I mean? My, what, what, why are we doing it that way? You want to do it your own way in relationships, but also in our churches or schools, our places of business, our institutions, and the wider culture. It just seems like such a helpful tool for, for instead of just automatically going through life, really starting to understand what's going on so that we can um, consciously change where we need to change. Oh, oh, Maddie. Uh, Maddie says, I see it show up in me in self-judgment. I will freeze if I am nervous. I won't make the, that you, I won't make the right decision in anti-racism work, in personal life, long-term decisions, etc. And I judge myself in shame when I make the wrong choice. Wow, Maddie. Thank you for sharing that. And, my, and mine's usually like a freeze. Like if I can't figure out what the right choices i'm like okay i'm gonna i don't know what to do so it's like i'm gonna freeze for a minute yeah yeah yes oh here's wendy there's a temptation in anti-racism work to believe that there is one right way to do it yeah yeah You know, lots of us are NPR people, and I heard a really interesting piece last week on just Malcolm X and Dr. King that, you know, that, that they had two different ways, and there was, there was goodness and wisdom in both of those. Yeah, but one, Malcolm X is usually, like, deemed as the bad way, yeah. and, and then Martin Luther King is lifted up as the, like, this is the way you do it, and, and my response to that is, but they were both killed. So, I mean, like, either way. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, somehow, the wider culture decided that neither of their ways was right. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, and, you know. All right. People are coming back. Yeah. It's good to see their faces again. Yeah. All folks are back. Yay. Oh, well, just like last time, it would be so wonderful if some of you would like to share a word um, out loud from, from the discussion you had in your breakout room. And also if you wanted to uh, toss something into chat as well, any insights or revelations. Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Please, thank but you. I, I think maybe one of our other group uh, will join in shortly. Uh, and, and one one thing that came up in our group was um, that right or wrong questions and what have you aren't not aren't necessarily all bad meaning uh, when I come home uh, I let the dog out to go potty first because he's so excited he has to go potty and so my desired outcome is to have him potty outside and not anywhere in the house on the floor or the carpet or whatever so if if you are looking for a desired outcome in anything, a right or wrong way of approach isn't necessarily always bad. Oh. Bill, thank you for sharing that. Was there someone else from, from Bill's group or another group who wanted to speak up? Oh, yes, Sharon. Hi, um, we were talking, um, Hannah, I'm about your age and same situation. 
was raised in a very uh, vanilla environment. Um, and so what my group shared with me was their experience of, um, have one black female that was talking about um, how she would have white friends and then her black friends would say she was being too white and she has her, goes back to the black friends and they, you know, she's kind of an outcast. And I'm probably not describing this right, but that was the issue that we got into and perhaps she, she might want to say something about that. Um, do you want to jump in? She's still there. But the complaint Sorry, I won't stop moving. Oh, uh, yeah, I was saying that um, if I have white friends and my own kind, I'd be like, you acting like you white, you think you white, and they just like verbally and emotionally abuse me. And then when I'm not around my white friends, I have to deal with them talking about white people like really bad and stuff. And I'm like, I can't handle a whole lot of stuff like them Roots movies and slavery and stuff like that. Like, I can't handle the stuff and they feel like we should be able to because we wasn't in slavery but it enslaves my spirit and my mind and it does something to me so I just let God lead me to whoever he wants me to be friends with my um spiritual directors and stuff like that Tracy thank you for sharing that what a complex situation it seems like that is for you and some of our BIPOC friends um, that we whites don't have to juggle. Yeah. Maddie says, thanks for sharing everyone. Yes, thank you so much. If, does anyone else want to share before we move on? Well then, it's time for this um, um, evening to take a bit of a turn. Um, We've taken a look at um, these two characteristics of white supremacy culture, either our thinking and only one right way. Um, and throughout this series from the open table, we've tried to offer an antidote from Christian mysticism, um, a way to, to help us let go of some of the, the thinking uh, that does not serve us. And um, Latia and I, uh, Maddie, if you would put up the definition, we thought it would be helpful if we were talking about Christian mysticism to have a definition. And as you've probably gathered, Latia and I have never met each other, we, except for Zoom. We, we've become good friends on Zoom, but we typed into, like, as you know, I'm not techno savvy. So um, Latia set up a Google document and we both typed into it our definition of mysticism. And it was so close that we just combined them. So for tonight, mysticism is practices that help one connect to God, self, others, and all of creation in meaningful ways, and that lead to an experience of God beyond the acceptance of beliefs and theologies. And I think that, that we might say that in, in our, to us, that experience of God or experience of connection are key facets of, of mysticism. And a wonderful thing is that mysticism is both and. It allows for God, for self, for other, for all of creation. Um, and Latia and I feel that, that we need practices that invite us out of our either or thinking, out of our right or wrong thinking. Um, we need practices that invite us to let go for a while of our persona, our ego, our thinking, our rigid beliefs. 
um, it's helpful to have practices that help us connect with the source, spirit, the ground of all being, name God, however you will. Um, it's, it's helpful to have practices that allow us to connect to our essence, to the deeper part of ourself. And really good news is that um, there's no one right way to experience our oneness with God. And Maddie, if you would um, pop up the, the, the tree, um, there's, this is a um, tree of contemplative practices. It's a model. It doesn't encompass everything. But I like that it shows that there are a number of ways that we can be mystical or contemplative. There are a number of ways that we can open ourselves to spirit. And um, you can see uh, some are um, more stillness practices. Some are moving practices. Um, there are... Um, Oh, the movement practices reminds me of a couple of weeks ago. Remember when we went out dancing? We, we just let our bodies feel the spirit and we moved. And, and I thought I felt a deep connection to God and, and those that I was with that night. And Latia, you're involved in the Poor People's Campaign. There are activist practices. Um, some here at the top, the, the vigils and marches. I know many of you have been um, to protest. Some of us has marched in Jefferson City with the Poor People's Campaign. And I found that some of those moments when hundreds of people of every skin hue marching together for justice, I feel God more deeply there than almost anywhere else and a connection to my brothers and sisters there almost more than anywhere else and also just a, a sense of deep connection to my best self. Um, so there are a variety of ways that we can connect to the source, that we can connect to, to spirit. And um, we're hopeful, or I'm hopeful, I found, this, I found this tree through a friend, but maybe you'll enjoy looking at, maybe you'll explore some of these practices, um, maybe you'll discover some that you enjoy, or maybe you'll recommit to a practice that you've enjoyed in the past, but maybe have gotten away from in the busyness of life or a global pandemic. Um, but what Latina and I would like to do now is actually um, invite you to join us in several practices. Um, we've, we've chosen these and hope that now we can maybe shift from thinking to experiencing God and, and feeling a connection to each other. And um, I hope that these practices will open up a space uh, for you to connect with spirit. I've been talking a lot. It should be Latia's turn, but we've got to end with Latia's practices because hers are really awesome. But I like mine too. And um, what I am going, going to invite you to do is join me in a practice that I do daily. It's my intention each day to do a 20-minute sit in silence where I, I light a candle and I, I do my best to be comfortable but alert to, to, to let thoughts come, but hopefully not detach to them, let them go, and to simply try to experience this, the lovely feeling of being embraced by God, of being connected to God. And so I'm not going to make you do it for 20 minutes. That, that's, a, that's a long, it's a long time, I think, even for those of us who practice it regularly. But if you're willing to do four minutes, um, what I'm going to do, um, Maddie will put up a slide I go into my silence with the words of Howard Thurman, who was the black mystic. I know our beloved Wendy is a fan of Howard Thurman. Um, I say those words and tonight I will say those words. And then, um, then Maddie will put up a, 
a picture of a candle. Some of you may be gazers and would like to gaze at a candle as you sit in contemplation. I'm an eye closer, so get comfortable, close your eyes, gaze at the candle. Um, but when the, the chime will go off, as we often do in um, contemplative prayer, and at the end of four minutes, the chime will go off again and we'll come out of the silence and then do, um, and oh, I want to do, I do want to back up and say, I call this a whitish practice because most of the people that I know who do this are white and we white folks tend to do it by ourselves, kind of that individualism, although you can do it with another person or in a group. Um, but tonight I, I invite each of you to go into your own silence, aware though of the rest of us around you. So, um, Maddie, we've, you've got these words up. I will read them, and then there will be the chime, and then your four minutes to, to sit in lovely silence. I abandon all that I think I am, all that I hope to be, all that I believe I possess. I let go of the past. I withdraw my grasping hand from the future. And in the great silence of this moment, I alertly rest my soul. Thank you all for going into this silence with me and with each other. And now, Latia, 
you've got a practice to share. All right. Uh, I grew up in a um, going to an African American church, and we um, just in a couple of weeks have been kind of trying to define what mysticism is for each of the groups. And uh, um, for me, how I've experienced mysticism has been in in company with groups. So in a many african-american church you have the preacher who will speak and then the congregation who calls back so all these things are happening in 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 community and even as we uh, a lot of traditional african-american songs are repetitive so that people can learn it and sing it together so um i'm going to invite us to listen to two songs one that's more of a contemporary way and one that it brings us back to those to our ancestors and the, the negro spirituals and sometimes i'm in the mood of that like i need this song this contemporary song and then sometimes i'm like i need to feel close to um those who those freedom fighters so we'll listen to these two songs and then we'll come back together so get comfortable you are invited to dance yeah. or sit or do whatever feels comfortable to you So he don't got no good news for me Even though I'm seeing bodies in the street like autumn leaves He say all I know is Jesus, man, is all I know to preach I guess Jesus doesn't care if I get killed by the police I guess Jesus doesn't care if I get killed by the police I guess Jesus doesn't care if I get killed by the police I guess Jesus doesn't care if I get killed by the police I guess Jesus doesn't care if I get killed by the police Oh, come on! That ain't no gospel too much I thought the Christians were supposed to love their neighbors and such But every Sunday I'm subjected to some mediocre Having no specific reference to the world that I touch No, come on This could not be the truth This shit is not good news If it's gonna be that way I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday I'm trying to keep it real It's just the way I feel This shit is not okay I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday so-and-so, she think that I should cut my hair She don't like my dirty mouth, she don't like anything I wear She don't like the way I swing my hips when I be in the pew But she got nothing to say about the lies of Pastor News She got nothing to say about the lies of Pastor News She got nothing to say about the lies of Pastor News She got nothing to say about the lies of Pastor News She got nothing to say about the lies of Pastor News But come on! God that you know, cause what I'm wearing has some bearing on the state of my soul But does he care about the neighborhood? Just tell me, is he looking? Are you saying that the savior couldn't save me cause my hoodie? Come on! This could not be the truth This shit is not good news If it's gonna be that way I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday I'm trying to keep it real It's just the way I feel This shit is not okay I don't think I'll go church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. No, I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I still believe in the one God who hovered over the chaos, who heard the cries of slaves in a brickyard, and waged war on the old gods. 
I still believe in the one God, the one that died the king and the worship. But if you're not gonna preach on him, then I'm not gonna listen. No, I, I'm just speaking my truth. This shit is not good news. If it's gonna be that way, I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I, I'm trying to keep it real. It's just the way I feel. This shit is not okay. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I don't think I'll go to church this Sunday. I'm not waking up for church this Sunday. All right, and if we can go to the next song, I know um, this might be a difficult song for some, but it, it is also to allow space for that both and, right? That this is an experience that some people have, but not everybody, and of course not every Christian is this way. Um, if Maddie, if you can hit for the next song. This next song that we're going to do with the choir is called Ella's Song. It's named for Ella Baker. Ella Baker was a staunch fighter, a staunch advocate for young people and their involvement in the civil rights movement. One who would sit for hours and listen as young people discussed and debated strategies for how they would move next in whatever direction they decided they wanted to go. These are Ella Baker's words. They were set to music by Bernice Johnson Regan, Ella's song. Now these are some very strong words we're saying here, so it means we need everyone to sing with us. The chorus. I'm gonna teach you the chorus. I want you to sing it back to me. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Now, we That's good, but it's weak. There's a lot of things going on in the world right now. There's a lot of freedoms being threatened. Think about it. Here we go. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Good. Now, Carol and I will sing the verses when it's your turn, come in nice and strong. Ready? Whenever you are. <laughs> Until the killing of black men, black mother sons, is as important as the killing of a white man, a white mother son. We who believe in freedom cannot Born to me, to me, young people come first. 
They have the courage of where we fell. And if I could but shed some light, as it carry us through the gale. an opportunity to hear the both and that like everybody's experience is different um that some have been have experienced difficult things in the church and that's not everybody's experience and that's why we had both songs there um and in the last one sweet honey in the rock which is one of my favorite you have the african-american singers and then the all um, Caucasian choir that both and that it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, I would like just to close with some words and then I'll pass it off to whoever is going to be closing us tonight. Um, so when we receive this, which is may prayer invite us to the center, may music move us to the center, and may love compel us to the center the place where we have greater capacity to embrace both ends in our lives, wherever, whatever, and in whomever it shows up, even in ourselves. 